0: All right, here we go now. <laughs> My name is David. I'm an alcoholic. Can you hear me? Um, I'm a what? Where's that little thing that says, by the grace of God and all that? I, I want to do that. Okay, there it is. My name is fill in the blank. <laughs> And I'm an alcoholic through God's grace, the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and sponsorship and a lot of therapy and medication, (laughs) essential oils, uh, sound baths, you know, uh, I am sober uh, since uh, April 14th, 1983. And Brian's been a great host. I want to thank Brian and the committee. I'll tell you a little story about when I first got here. I got here a little early, and I made a mistake of just kind of jokingly, not intentionally saying, you know, if you need any help, let me know. (laughs) I didn't mean it. You know how you say, "Ah, how you doing? You don't really care how they're doing. And then all of a sudden they tell you. Well, don't tell Becky that. I'm sitting over there, minding my, hey, you, come here. She said, hey, you come here. You said you would help. Come on. Next next thing I know, I'm up on a stepladder trying to help put the sign up. Just got myself killed. Jeez, Kentucky, huh? Tough here, buddy. Um, the other speakers have been amazing. Kim, thank you. Um, you know, just incredible stories. Uh, Mike and his wife, uh, diane and i got to share some time together i love you guys I, I really love the tree story more than anything that i can imagine <laughs> it's just such a great story of diminishment you know if i had that many trees it's something i could have been capable of doing and um chip and and Krista, uh just everybody's been so amazing so i, I want to thank them f- for their stories um you know, I come from five boys. My, uh, my, my father met my mother when he was 16 years old in Alabama. Probably not too far from here, right? Alabama, it's the same thing, right? Kentucky, Alabama. <laughs> they get married when they're 16. She got married when she was 16 years old. She met him. They had to elope to Mississippi. On their wedding day, my dad said, I want five boys. She don't give him five boys. And they, you know, went to Jersey. And she had five boys by the time she was 26 years old. I know. I had two, and they almost killed me. Um, she is literally one of the most amazing examples of spirituality in action that I have ever seen uh, before or since. It took me a while to, uh, to recognize that. Um, you know, I was born and raised in New Jersey. Wow. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. Anybody from Jersey? They won't admit it. I mean, I lived there a while ago, but I'm in Kentucky now. Oh my God. Um, never got that response before. Excuse me, somebody loud, yeah, Jersey! And that's why I left, you know. Um, so we had five boys, uh, and, uh, you know, I call my sponsor before I, 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 I speak, and I just touch base, and he reminds me you're going to tell what I was like what happened and what I am like now. I was a beautiful little kid. My parents always had food on the table. My dad worked for the phone company. Um, I never wanted for anything. I knew the difference between right and wrong. And back then, it was okay to smack a kid in the back of the head. I think they should bring that back. That's just me. Maybe not, maybe once, once a week, slap a kid in the head day. All right, I digress. Um, So when I'm eight years old, some stuff happened to me that shouldn't really happen to an eight-year-old boy. It was dark. It was shameful. um, And it took me till I was 40 to to find it. But um, little did I know that that would be the first major trauma in my life that would shape my life for decades to come. And was was a real significant reason why I started drinking in the first place. I, I didn't know how to talk about it. I didn't know how to vocalize that kind of shame or pain. So the first thing I did was, uh, you know, uh, Krista was talking about, you know, we had booze at our house. They went out, um, you know, my dad said, go go get me a bud from the fridge. And I would take the bud and I'd chug half of it and they would say, ah, you little knucklehead. And he'd shake my head and go get me another one. You drank half this one. Back then it was boys will be boys. Now they throw you in rehab, right? (laughs) Just kind of a cute little thing back then, right? Hey, watch Dave. He's drinking. He's going to twirl around and fall. You know, they didn't care. Um, So as soon as I could find booze, man, I tell you what, it took away that shame and that pain. By the time I was 13 years old, I was drinking and smoking weed like a Viking. I mean, I needed relief. And alcohol gave me relief. This was before cell phones. I mean, I would disappear. I remember... The Grateful Dead were playing at the Meadowlands Giant Stadium. My mom said, you're not going to that concert. They smoke weed and you're not going. Which meant nothing to me. That meant, oh, you want me to go? And you you know, I, I snuck out of the house. I used to climb out the attic window, jump onto the pussy willow tree, and then shimmy myself down and eventually jump onto the ground. That was on a Friday. I came back on Sunday. I was 13. I was a hellion. I asked my mom recently, who was the the most difficult son? She, before I even finish, you. (laughs) I was broken. I was a broken arrow. There was nothing that I could put into my body that would take away all that shame. I just ran like an engine on dry dock, full throttle. There was no repercussions. There's no threats. You can't stop an alcoholic from drinking. And it was, your grounded for life. And then three weeks. It was about two and a half, three weeks. All right. I'd be at it again. Was that a duck? <laughs> we are in Kentucky. <laughs> right? Quack, quack. Um, so I'm drinking like a hellion, like a Viking. Like, I, I just, I don't know why. Uh. I was very athletic. I played sports. All my brothers played sports, and you know I was the one that came home at three o'clock in the morning. We were supposed to be home at midnight, and my parents started to lock the lower floor. So I had to climb up. I had to shimmy up the pole, over the top uh, thing, and tap, start tapping on windows. And eventually, my brothers even locked me out. <laughs> there was a lot of windows and doors to get in that house, and I couldn't get in any of them. So I, we had a bassin hound named Snoopy, and it had a hay thing under the porch and I go sleep with Snoopy <laughs> uh, you love me Snoopy she's like dude dude, you are drunk you're sleeping with the dog um, night before my SATs it just went on like that night before my SATs everybody's usually studying to, uh, to further their education and prepare for their future I did not care I didn't care I didn't care. I had no desire to study. It was about partying today, and that was it. Um, I hit a tree in a blackout doing about 70. Um, I broke my femur, my right femur in half. Um, I hit the windshield, and I ripped my nose off my face. I broke my nose. I broke the clavicle. The clavicle ripped the subclavian artery to my heart. I broke six ribs. One of the ribs punctured the bronchial tube, collapsed the lung. Um, they study me at the Rutgers Medical Journal right now. I was only two of uh, only two people that survived my injuries in the country. There was a squad car coming back from a call. It was about a half a mile away. The other hospital in town had six trauma patients. I go there, I'm dead. I never make it. At that empty hospital that I went to, there were six doctors there giving a going away party to a. A friend of theirs that was going out west to start his own practice. There was a card- cardiopulmonary surgeon. There was a bone specialist. There was a plastic surgeon <laughs> who sewed my nose back on. Uh, God wasn't ready. He goes, I'm not done. I'm not done with you. Not done with you yet. Man, I tell you what, I was 17, and I was banged up. I can't imagine what it was like for my parents. Now I have two children uh, now, and I can't imagine what they went through and what the pain to watch their their son almost die in front of their eyes, how difficult that was. But we're not hurting anybody but ourselves. I'm just having fun. I'm just partying. So the doctor said, you have an artificial graft in your subclavian artery that alcohol will deteriorate, so don't drink. Gotcha. You had a collapsed lung. If you smoke, it's gonna you're gonna collapse it and lose it. So don't smoke. Gotcha. <laughs> so by the end of the summer, I'm feeling better. I'm not, I'm 17. I'm starting to heal. 17 year old bones heal fast. So I'm at a local party and uh, somebody hands me a you know cup. I'm drinking a beer. My buddy goes, Are you supposed to be drinking? Doctor said it was okay if I had one beer. All right. <laughs> Somebody passed me a joint. I took a hit off. I get, dude, are you supposed to be smoking? Doctor said it was okay if I had one joint. He's like, who's your doctor? <laughs> like, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> and I drank the graph closed by the end of the summer. Because I didn't care. I didn't care. I would come home at night. I'd be snorting coke, smoking weed, drinking like a Viking, and the graph would just be like, I know that sound because I've had a lot of, you know, you know, angiograms or whatever they put that thing over there. And I would just say, I don't care. Blow. Who cares? I didn't care. I didn't want to live. I I didn't know how to not stop killing myself. And I'd wake up the next day, just like, ugh. So from the time I was 17 to the time I was 21, I drank like that. All right. um, my 21st birthday, I was at a party, and it was, you know, it was 80, 83, right? There was a lot of white stuff around. There was a mound of white stuff, as a matter of fact. And I, a friend of mine, Elizabeth Ann Dolly, and they spelled out Elizabeth Ann Dolly and David William Miller, and I snorted my name in cocaine. You guys laugh at that. Most people don't laugh at that when I tell them that. <laughs> I explained, there was, it was a small font. It was a small font. <laughs> um, I you know, and everybody was cheering back then. That was the '80s, man. Go, yeah! And um, I had a case of St. Pauli Girl beer on the front of a '65 Chevy Nova, three on the tree. I had a batch of hash brownies, and I decided to go see my brother in Connecticut. I don't remember leaving the party, right? And and meanwhile, I had already almost killed myself. I wake up in a dorm in Connecticut, and some guy's shaking me going, dude, who are you? I go, I'm Jimmy Miller's brother. He goes, oh, he's in the next dorm. I missed, right? I missed. It is hard to drive the Sawmill River Parkway sober. I mean, you know, whenever I think I was too young to get sober, I think about that. That's not normal drinking, right? Um, That was my 21st birthday, and I went out. um, You know, my parents didn't want to watch me kill myself. They they said uh, one day after my dad's shaking me, where's the car? I go, I don't know. Did I have it? He said, uh, I think you have a drinking problem. And your mother and I are not going to want, you, gotta, you know, we're not going to sit here and watch you kill yourself. So you either get the hell out of the house or get some help. And I was just like, whatever, whatever. I don't, I, I'm not in a position to find my own place. I was like, so they make a few phone calls. At that time, my mother was on the board of a hospital uh, with a woman whose son was recovering an AA. Sitting across from her was my old Pop Warner football coach who was in AA, God's grace, orchestrating. She goes to the board meeting, and my my son, I don't know what to do with him. He's out of control and blah, blah, blah. That night, a guy named Gary picks me up, and he's got a Porsche T-top convertible. You remember the old, uh, you know, said, wow, this is all right. AA, if I go to AA, I'm going to get a Porsche. (laughs) That has not happened yet. So I went to my first meeting, and there was a kid 16 years old. I'm like, how can he be an alcoholic? He's 16. He's just a kid. And they used to give 90-day pins back then in Jersey. And I put my 90-day pin on my members-only jacket. Yes. Yeah, baby. The black ones with the little collars? Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was, the, that was the shit back then. And I just staggered through, right. Uh, the, the, the next several decades of my recovery are, are going to be about untreated alcoholism. And I was, a, I was a meeting maker. I did a lot of dances, softball. I love that stuff. And I think that's the hook of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I still enjoy that. I play a lot of golf with my sober buddies today. But that's not AA. That's the fellowship of AA. Um, kind of went through the steps because they kept talking about it. <laughs> four or five years, uh, I, I think I did a four-step with somebody, fifth step, I don't know. <laughs> and my sponsor said at the time, what about, the six, what about six and seven? And that's where my recovery pretty much stalled, right there. Uh, I was attracted to people that weren't going to push me, weren't going to press me. You are attracted to what you want. I don't want those big book people around me pounding me in the head with that thing I just want to coast through this I'm going to get by I'm going to do an adequate amount which is about what I did my whole life right half measures so uh I go to Atlantic City with my brothers I I meet a pretty girl in a bar you know uh, she was cute we got married (laughs) we had had two beautiful children um and um, you know, I'm, I'm going to fast forward. There was a lot of crazy stuff that happened in there, but the details of that. Um, fast forward to like 2006. I'm down. You know, I you know, I, I was selling food in New York City uh, for a while. You lived in Weehawken, in New Jersey, and my bi- my wife and I both worked in the city. She worked in Tower Two. I got a job as a director of a golf school down in Ocean City, Maryland. I was a golf professional phenomenal Arthur Hills course on the water. I'm like, how did I get here, right? This is amazing. I can't believe they're paying me for this. Untreated alcoholism. It doesn't matter how good things are on the outside. I was a nutbag, right? I was a nutbag. Um, right after we went down, uh, down there about six months, the towers went down. My wife's uh, firm was in 21, 22 floor. They all got out, but she was just devastated, Um, I started to fight with the neighbors. I was irritable. I started to fight with the head guy professional because he wasn't doing it the way I think he should do it. You know, could you imagine me uh, just untreated? Just stopping drinking is not enough. Um, So it was at that point, uh, and... Thank you for our lovely Al-Anon talk, Diane. I mean, I I went to Al-Anon to try to save my marriage because my ex-wife was drinking a lot. No wonder. I was a nutball. I would drink if I lived with me. (laughs) You know, holier-than-thou, untreated alcohol. Why do you drink so much? Just, you know, yelling at her all the time. I yelled. I screamed. I was nice. I didn't know what to do. Um. So I went to Al-Anon. I remember when I was sitting in an Al-Anon meeting, my very first Al-Anon meeting, the, clo- the clock on the wall was stopped. I'm like, can't somebody throw a, like a battery in this clock? I mean, how tough is it to throw a battery in a clock? Can't you just reach up there? I go, oh my God, that's why I'm here. I'm not the clock guy. It's not even my clock. Right? That's untreated alcoholism. If you are disturbed on a daily basis by everything... The light's not going too fast. My boss is everything. That's why we drink, by the way. You take away the booze from that, and it is disturbance. Disturbance. I was so disturbed. I was mentally ill. The book says, in fact, we are mentally ill. I was mentally ill. I was untreated. I was uh, just dying. So I got some education now and on and I learned a few things and I eventually said to my uh, ex, I said, listen, I think, I think you might have a drinking problem. I said, I think we need to go to counseling. And she said, I don't have a drinking problem. I'm not going to counseling and I want you to leave. That is not the answer I was expecting. <laughs> I love you, honey, I'll do anything is what I was expecting. But that's not what she said, right? Oh, my God. So within like six weeks, I lost the house, car, job, wife, dog. Yeah, it was, it was devastated. Trauma number two, devastation and loss, right? Devastation and loss. Who am I if I have none of my stuff, right? It was gone. Everything was gone. I saw Sandy Beach at Sessions that Sunday morning. I got, to, I got to hang with Sandy a little bit, and what a sweet, dear man he was. Um, and he gave a talk, and I had my car loaded up. I had a Prius hybrid, and I plugged in Santa Monica, California. And I, and I rolled out, and I, was, I wasn't crying. I was weeping. I was wailing. I had just lost everything in my life. I have two beautiful children, like 11 and 13, and my brother said, come out and hang with me for six months, and then, you know, figure out what you want to do next, and what I didn't know at the time, there's a lot of, Sandy was a big Eckhart fan, I you know, we talked about that, and the diminishment, and the power of now, and the diminishment of ego, my ego was exploded, there was no, I couldn't grasp onto anything, because I didn't have anything, right. And what I didn't know at the time, that I was losing my mind. I was losing thought. I, would, I, I couldn't think. It was so painful to look back at what, what uh, devastation and rubble lied in my, in, my, in my wake. And I was so petrified to look forward that the only thing I was able to do is look at the purple line of my GPS. And I would press the points of interest. Oh, the largest Abraham Lincoln head in, you know, I just, you know, I wasn't going anywhere fast. And I just, I just drove and I was awake and I noticed details. I noticed the details of the carpet, the wood, the sky, the trees. I was awake. That is not the way that I anticipated waking up in my life. I was awake. If I had not gone through all that devastating loss, I could have been asleep the rest of my life. I could have very well been asleep the rest of my life, and that was the beginning of a crazy journey. Uh, Mickey Bush was the only contact I had when I got to California. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> Mickey. My sponsor knew Mickey. Goes here's call this guy when you get there. I call Hey, mate, is it? a will pick you up at six o'clock. He he would put me at the front of the door. i said, this is my friend Davey. He spars himself as a comedian. He's not very funny. He's just lost all his shit. (laughs) Uh, I'm like, Mick, you don't really have to say that every time. Oh, yeah, it's good for you, mate. It's good for you. (laughs) Oh, my God. And I just went to meetings. You know, I was standing on the... Corner looking for the Venice Beach morning meeting. It's ten o'clock Sunday morning. One of the commitments is a suntan lotion commitment. Come with a big basket. Would you like number five or number? Two? I thought that was amazing. <laughs> I wanted to be the sun, sun uh, screen guy. <laughs> but before I found that meeting, there was a guy standing with a clipboard on on the corner, and I said, "What are you doing?" He goes, "I'm trying to keep the vagrants offset from eating all the donuts." I go, "Well, what do, what do you mean?" Yeah, they're a movie. I said, well, how do I get on the set? He said, what do you mean, background work? I go, yeah. So I fill out the forms online. I bring them down. I take a picture. And next thing, you know, next day, next day, I'm on Ugly Betty. <laughs> because a girlfriend of mine said, bring your tuxedo out there. And I'm like, why? She goes, you never want to know when you're going to go to a Hollywood opening. And the first call, when you call the number and you plug in your code, they say white Caucasian males 5'10 to 6'2 uh, with a tuxedo was the first call. So I start doing background work. My brother is like, what is happening? <laughs> I'm doing movies and TV shows and this and that. And I'm just awakening. I run into my good buddy, Gant. And he takes me down to a spiritual realization center in, in Malibu. It's a circle of celebration of all religions. I kind of laugh when we, we, we hear talk about our religious interpretation of what this great energy is doing. I think it's adorable. You know, the Catholic thinks this, the Jews think that. Like, nobody knows what this thing is about. How egoic is it for us to try to interpret that? I think it's silly. But I, 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 I happily, one of the greatest things about it, hey, you know, your own deal, buddy. Uh, Sandy said it was one of the greatest spiritual heists of the century. We took a little bit of each one that we liked, and we left all the dogma, right? Thank God. And uh, he gave me this 10-pack of Eckhart, and I was on the the set of uh, The L Word because I had a black car. It was a traffic jam scene. So I sat in my car for 10 hours and listened to Eckhart Tolle talk about this experience of, you know, uh, he was going through his process of diminishment, and he's walking, and he gets on the subway. And he, um, some of you may may have heard this. Uh, the woman across from is nuts. She's talking to seven people. Nobody's sitting on either side her. She's like, Wah, rah, 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 rah. you know the ones, right? We've seen all those people that are crazy. And he was like, oh man, they stop. They get off the same stop. She starts walking towards his building, and he's like, what? Well, what is she a patient? Is she? What's the deal? kind of loses her, and he goes up in the bathroom, and he's going to the bathroom, and he goes, man, and he says out loud, I hope I don't get like that, and the guy next to him just kind of, who the hell are you talking to, and he goes, oh, my God, I am just like her. The only thing that I'm not doing is free streaming it 24-7. The voice in our head, right? Look at that one. Uh, she's thinking at me. I know she is. That's alcoholism, torture, torture. You know what takes away? Take that torture. Oh my god! That was like the beginning of my awakening. Beginning of my awakening, I could go, Wow. I was losing my mind because I no longer needed to think. It is the most useless thing I have ever been given the delusion to think I could do. I think I know what's best. (laughs) All right? I was able to look, and the only thing I'm thinking about is kind of what's in front of me. Let's engage. Right? The girl nodding in the, in the arms. She's, uh-huh, yep, yep, yep. It's be here now. I could never be here now. You know what got me here now? Crushing loss and diminishment. So if you are going through crushing loss and diminishment right now, congratulations. <laughs> it's going to be Awesome. You just got to continue to breathe and move. So I go through this whole weird, wacky thing, and I got to go back to my kids, and I go back, and things are different, man. Things are different. I'm different. Things are different. I changed my sponsor, um, and I got my sponsor, Roger, that I have today. My good friend, Rich B., and I uh, share Roger as a sponsor, and he's been amazing for me. Uh, primary Purpose Group. Uh, I was in the middle of that group when I, right, right before I lost all my stuff. Had I not been in the middle of that line-by-line big book study group, I think I would be dead. All right? And that's what happens to alcoholics. They drift off, and when it hits the fan, they are not pre- pre- prepared to handle it. I was surrounded by AA and love and support. If you drift far off and you go through heavy-duty stuff, burr, you got to quiet it somehow, and if you're not working with a spiritual life on a daily basis, that is the substitute, by the way, right? Uh, I believe alcohol is a spiritual catalyst, and I think God has fun with us. He goes, all right, this one's either going to die or he's going to find me. Watch this. (laughs) Take their first ring. I think a bell rings. There's a drunk having a first drink. Let's watch that's a shame. Oh, that one made it. I love you anyway, come home, all right? I don't know, man. What makes an alcoholic hit their bottom? It's like 15 pendulums of a grandfather clock swinging randomly at the same time, and here's God, right? All right, boom. It's all of them at the same time, all right, and you surrender, like everything aligns, seconds and inches. But how many people do we see that just keep going, going and going and going, and they just won't lay down. I've seen some horrible, horrible alcoholic deaths with people that I never thought would get drunk. They sat side by side and studied that book with me, and they are dead. I'm so glad I'm here, right? Um, I'm so glad I'm here. So I began to go along this process. Um, and study the book and um, you know I got. I lived in 14 places and I finally found a, uh, you know God's grace the whole time I found a little apartment in Berlin, Maryland it's the coolest small town in America it was where they filmed Runway Bride with Julia Roberts and Richard Gere I got a bang that to bang that's my, my uh, advertising for my, my hometown it's adorable little place I can't believe I'm there it's like Mayberry I got down there from Jersey, somebody looked me in the eye and said, good morning, how you doing? I go, do I know you? (laughs) Can you look at somebody like right in the eye, like a stranger, and say good morning? I'm like, what the hell is that all about? (laughs) And now it's like, hey, Dave, how you doing? I love it, love it. It's uh, 10 minutes from Assateague Island where the wild ponies run. I, I get to play golf all the time. I'll wait. (laughs) Krista Krista and I go to a primary purpose group. If your phone goes off, they all yell, selfish, selfish. Yeah, they give it to you. You only do that once, buddy. They will beat you up. Old-fashioned Kentucky whipping. so i 'm thirty years sober at this time, and um you know i just I just lost a lot, right? My heart's broken. what happened right i'm getting through it I'm, I'm you know my sponsor teaches me to get up and make my bed every day. Oh my God, my bed is made in my hotel room right now i can't leave a room without making my bed. It is the first spiritual action that I do, and then i I shave my neck parts, and then I make my coffee, and then I do a little exercise, and then I call my sponsor. I got a couple guys that call me. And after those four or five spiritual actions, my my perception of reality begins to shift. That is the biggest spiritual thing I've ever experienced in my life. It was not a bright light. It was simple spiritual action. Changed my life. And I never, I didn't do it until I absolutely was forced to do it. My sponsor, when we started working, what time would be a good time for you to call me in the morning? You pick the time, right? Eight thirty-five. Because I go, I was going to a seven thirty meeting. I got a, got a, out at eight thirty, and I would call him at eight thirty-five. And I'd usually bitch about the meeting. He would say, "What do you bring into the meeting?" And I would go, "Ugh, ugh." So if I can't make that call, you're the one that picked the time. And the other thing that, it, when I do that with a new guy, uh, I've, got a, I've got a 7.45 and a 9.15 right now. The other ones are just out there wandering. <laughs> and here's the test. If you can't make a phone call, how are we going to do the rest of this stuff? I'm weeding them out, right? If you can't make a phone call, one phone call, Oh, I got running around. I got, I'm sorry, I got this. I got, dude, I, call, I got 38 years of I call my sponsor every day. You know why? I have an alarm in my phone. I am not smart enough to remember that. I guarantee you. Right? Now, how many newcomers are like homeless and they got, the, I, you know, iPhone 12? Like, dude, your phone's nicer than mine. Set an alarm Monday through Friday. I'll give you off weekends. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to go play golf. <laughs> Set it. That's If you can't do that, man, I, I, I don't think I can help you. I don't think I can help you. All right? What a great way to just w- stop wasting your time. I will go to the end of the earth for a drunk. I've had weird calls, weird situations And uh, seen some strange things on 12... They don't do 12-step calls like the way they used to. I saw some crazy 12-step calls. (laughs) You know, people puking, people coming at you, needles in the arm, blood spurting everywhere. I mean, that's the way we used to do it. That's the way I used to do it back when I was... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I I got carried away. So long about that time, I... uh, I I enter Shepherd Pratt University for dietary education. I go into a hospital for bulimia. <laughs> right, I'm, I'm I'm sick. Right, and and the uh, this, the untreated disease of alcoholism doesn't really care how it kills you. Doesn't care. It'll pick away booze, sex, porn, drugs medication. I went to the dentist. I've got pain pills. It will kill you. It will find a way to kill you. And that almost killed me. It took a doctor begging me to make a phone call. And I drove up there myself thinking, this is, this is crazy. I don't need this. And the first time they sat a meal down in front of me and I couldn't go to the bathroom afterwards, I just started to cry. I just started to cry. There was about 20 teenage girls in there with me. And me. Mr. Miller, that's not appropriate conversation at the dinner table. Sit up straight. (laughs) Is what I heard. That was the first time in my life, in my recovery, that I was separated from all my distractions. And I began to get a glimpse of the shame and the pain that was down there that I hadn't addressed yet. Right, that was a that was a glimpse, and I I spent two weeks impatient, and uh, <laughs> my buddy Rich B came up. You know, it's like who are you gonna call? Like I can't call my family. They're thinking, well, you just need a nice girl, <laughs> right? So literally, Rich B came up, and we we're on the three way with you know um, my my dear mom. <clears throat> I think if he just finds a nice girl, and I put the the mute button, I go. There you go. That's what we're dealing with. I mean, I, I can't call my family. They don't understand. But my buddy Rich did. My buddy Rich did. He, he took me down to Savannah to play golf before I checked myself into Shepherd Pratt. And I said, do you think I'm crazy? And he started laughing so hard I, th- I thought he was going to go off the road. <laughs> He said, buddy, you better do everything that you can. Just do whatever they tell you. Otherwise, they're going to lock you up and shock you. You will never see the light of day ever again. And I was like, "I was like, dude, that's, that's kind of harsh, buddy. He just couldn't stop laughing. So I got back right before two days. I said, yeah, I called him up. I said, you guys still shock people up there? I was ner- I was nervous. And she said, Not in this department. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> but you still do it. Oh, Jesus. Uh, so I get out of there, right? And I realize that, you know, just like everything else, food is a spiritual act to nourish the body that God has given us. I never knew that. How many alcoholics do you sit down to lunch with or dinner? pop, 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 pop I'm not judging anybody but myself, but I had to be mindful about what I eat. I have to pray before I eat. God, please allow this to nourish my body so I could be of service. All right. um, I went into therapy a couple years later for EMDR. It's, prob- it's, a, it's an intense, regressive therapy because I still wasn't getting there. I was still doing things that I would not want posted on the cover of the local newspaper <laughs> think about that and i think for men it, it's a little different we don't want to admit our shame we don't want to admit that we're dying and we're sick and in the wee hours of the morning we're doing things that we're not proud of right nobody wants to talk about that um that's the stuff that'll kill you right? that's the stuff that ki- it was killing me so I found that ther- I had a dietary uh, therapist that I was working for or working with, um, and uh, she was also she she she, <laughs> she left to go to Baltimore to start a practice. I go, you know, I have separation anxiety. <laughs> You're literally doing the thing that I'm trying to get treated. And what happened was she. You know her replacement was the one I needed right um, along about that time right after that i was uh you know my sponsor and I were working uh, uh, you know I was a golf professional for a long time i'm i'm, I'm not a i'm not an educated man um, I was high in school i hadn't been to school in thirty years I was trying to study for my uh Life insurance and annuities exam. And I was putting it off, and Roger was just like, you going to get this thing done or what? I don't know how to, you know. He taught me how to study. I bought the book. Turns out online, they, you buy the book, and you do what they say. And I learned that I'm, I'm intelligent, right? I'm smart. I passed the test. I pressed the button. They said, are you done? And, and I said, yes. And they said, are you sure? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Boom. I hit it. I passed the state exam and the regular exam. And I was a licensed insurance agent in the, in the state of Maryland. And I did well. It was a great product. I love it. I'm not going to try to sell you insurance right now. But I think you ought to think about it. Um, I was at my desk one day. I was doing well. I was doing great. And uh, got this pain in my head. And uh, I went somewhere the next day. I I think I drove up to Jersey. Of course, what does a dude do? I I ignore it. It'll go away, right? I'm driving home. I call my girlfriend at the time. I said, Man, I got this pain in my head and my neck. She goes, Go to the hospital right now. I'm "Ah, it's, It's all right. I wake up the next morning. I call my sponsor and I go, I got a pain in my head and my neck. He goes, Go to the hospital right now. And I did. She's like, What the hell? And what had happened is that graft from 35 years ago had closed, right? And uh, the blood pressure in my right arm was 60 over 20, 120 over 80. i not a doctor, but those are different. (laughs) I said, that can't be good. So there was like, uh, you know, I went to a hospital, and they tried to do a carotid carotid bypass. They screwed it up they took the right carotid and the right subclavian with it then i had to go to johns hopkins for open heart surgery so when they were in here for open heart surgery you know i was good until they came in and said all right this is what could happen It's like damn this is serious right i was good before you guys said you know all that and i remember they wheeled me in and I said, God, if you are done with me down here, you know what? I'm good. I remember people talking about that. I'm good. My old sponsor used to say, my bags are packed. Like, if I can get out of here with a level playing field after all the crap that I did, I would be thrilled to, to get out even par in this mess. So I get in there, and the guy goes, all right, we're going to put you under. I go, hold a second. Hold on. I said, what's your name? He goes, Kevin. I go, Kevin, I just want to know your name in case you're the last person I ever see. (laughs) He goes, ah, you'll be fine. And, of course, I woke up. Um, I had several clots after that. They kept shutting down, and they would cut me again and cut me again. And I finally said, do you know why this is happening? They said, no. I said, well, I'm not getting cut anymore. I'm done. turns out I had Lyme's disease. The Bartonella Lyme's has a clotting factor. I changed my diet. And I have 117 over 75, 120 over 80. There are a couple of marks off. I also pray and I meditate. I eat clean. Right? That's why I added those couple things there. It's by God's grace and Alcoholics Anonymous, but guess what else I have to do? I have to practice these principles in all my affairs. I don't have a a choice. Selfish. 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 Yeah. Give yourself a hand for that one. There's a little button on the side. You just got to flip it. That's all you got to do. You can avoid this whole mess. My sponsor's going to kill me for that when he hears this tape. (laughs) Stop doing stand-up up up there. Oh, my God. Where was I? Oh, yeah, so I just started eating better, right? There's a great movie called Heal, the power of the mind, right? I believe God is a cellular thing. We're 85% water. I used to meditate with a picture of the vascular structure of the human body right in front of me. I would take a deep breath in, I would see white light rushing through my veins, and I would exhale, gray smoke. God, please open my arteries, heal me. I believe you can rearrange your body. I think the power of God's grace on a cellular level, we all have the power to be healthy. I I take blood thinners too, by the way. I mean, I'm not an idiot. <laughs> a little east and west. I take a anticoagulant, a blood thinner, and I eat clean, right? Um What a miracle that was, right? What a miracle. Um. So I started working with my therapist about this EMDR work, and it was heavy, man. It was in the basement of a house in my neighborhood. And that's where I went down. I went down there one time. I was the observer as an adult. I went, went down one time, and I was the participant. I went down one time, and uh, this this entity came down the stairs and there was so much light, it just blasted out the whole room. Um, I went down there one time with a bat and I beat these guys down. Right? I beat them, beat them. I was so angry. I had no idea I had that kind of rage. Uh, there was such a cleansing and healing because there was no way that I get through that on my own. It took God. It took therapy. It took the program, the steps, studying the big book, took all of that, and still, on a daily basis, I have to maintain that spiritual condition. It is never over. We are always seeking God's light. Um. There's some really other trippy things that I'll tell you about later if you want to know about them that happened that are pretty freaky. Um, but basically, it was the, the culmination was this, you know, the roof being ripped off of this whole basement. And then a hand reached down and pulled me out and ripped the whole container out of the ground and just threw it in the wind and filled it with dirt. And then all of a sudden immediately flowers just burst up all over. I was so usually when I get out of these sessions, my therapist, what'd you see? And I go, Holy This is incredible. And she was like, Wow, that is amazing. Like God healed me of the deepest shame I could ever possibly imagine. You know those shiny spiritual people that you see in A, like you think, How are you doing? I will never be like you. I'm not one of those people. I'm not free. I'm not going to be. I, I, there's too much dark shame. You don't understand. I'm different. All right? The ego of the alcoholic. Ah, my pain is bigger than your pain. The one downsmanship of AA. Right? When you get out of you know, somebody shares at a meeting. Well, I, I, and the next one goes, "Oh yeah, you think that's bad? Well, listen to this." That's what we think, right? So I'm, I'm clean, I'm healthy. Um, I, I went on short-term disability, then I went on long-term disability. Um, I do side hustles. Uh, at some point I started writing and doing stand-up comedy. Um, I'm a writer now and I've written a, a, a project for, for television. I've written a movie and we're kind of waiting for the pandemic to clear up for some of that stuff. I think that's going to happen. It's kind of weird. Right? Why? Because the crow crowed three times, and I was born again. Can I have an amen? Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. Where where, was I? Oh, yeah. So I'm doing these wonderful things, right? I play a lot of golf, right? Uh, My two beautiful children, I just spent, my daughter's an artist, and she does um, liquid pour paints, and I went to the Peach Festival with her. Um, in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and I, I showered on Wednesday morning, and I showered on Sunday when I got back. I slept in a tent, and I got down with the hippies, and I found the wharf rats, right? Anybody familiar with the wharf rats? Sober hippies, baby. Went to two meetings a day. I got to be a part of my daughter's life. My son, at some point, said, Dad, I want to be a golf professional, because when he was little, Barney was popular. hew, <laughs> No, no, I hated the Purple Dinosaur. I am not watching that. So the Golf Channel came on. I would put him on the golf, ch- golf Channel. I'd put him under Nicholas's eighty-six victory at the Masters. <laughs> and he became a go- I'd be like Jake, and he'd be losing And he's a golf professional. He's one of the most beautiful swings. So I, I get to play golf with my son. I tried to become a golf professional. I could never pass my player's test. I'd fold like a lawn chair. I missed it by a shot five times. Right? My brother said, maybe the golf thing was never about you. Did you think of that? And I went, no. <laughs> right? No, of course not. I didn't think about that. Um, last week, right, I got divorced in 09 and I've been, ch- the IRS has been chasing me for, oh my God, it's awful. Where's my IRS fans out there? <laughs> uh, my sponsor, you, you know, you gotta get this stuff cleared up. You gotta get cleared up. I'm playing golf with a guy from my local bank. And I said, uh, I'm an, I need a favor, man. I, I'm under, I got all this debt, these credit card debts. And, um, I need just to get help to get out from under it. Like Tuesday of last week, signed the paperwork, and I paid off all that debt. And I had one payment at a much, much lower interest rate. Auto-deducted from my account. I I felt like I lost a friend. (laughs) The anxiety and fear of debt. I called my sponsor. I said, dude, I feel like I'm in mourning. Like, if you're not carried around that kind of anxiety and pain, what do you do with your time? I don't know. You take a nap. You go play golf. What freedom? Rich B. taught me about freedom of bondage. You can pick up the phone no matter who calls. 800 numbers or not. How you doing? Dave Miller, may I help you? Yeah, we're trying to sell you a warranty for your car. I don't own that car anymore. But I'll talk to him. I don't care. I've done that kind of work. How are your windows? I don't know. I asked my ex-wife. She has the house. <laughs> I don't have any windows. <laughs> Somebody called me up the other day. said, you owe $13,000 for the repair of your roof. I said, that's pretty impossible I've lived in a one bedroom apartment for the last 10 years like I'm a free man I can look the world in the eye I'm not running or hiding from anybody that is a miracle for a guy like me miracle enjoy the chaos they'll be gone soon that's what I tell my sponsees you know my kids are beautiful, but I wish I could see them more. You know, I love my kids. I got a great, they know that I love them, and they—they they love me. What a what a gift! You know, um, getting close. Um, so, making amends, right? Financial amends. I don't have a whole lot of amends that I need to make. Uh, uh, the big one was just last week. Um, there's a estate sale business in Jersey with my family, my mom and my brother, and I was able to show up. Over the last couple of years, I'd, I'd come down with my dad, and I'd, he'd be reading the paper, and I would just say, so what's in the paper, Dad? And he said, ah, the Chinese, or he'd just start rattling on about something he was pissed about. And I'd write it down on my pad, and I'd go into the comedy club, and I'd say, this is what my dad said today. <laughs> and it became a thing, like, what'd your dad say today? He's 87, and we had a great time, and I was able to be there for him. Um, He got sick in March, and um, my parents were married 65 years, right? My mother has not known anything other than my dad. Um, March 14th, uh, Monday night, they brought him home, 730, and I agreed to take the first shift. And I was going to take this morphine dropper. Don't think I got a little bit of flutter about that. Whoa, morphine, <laughs> holy shit. Um, and one drop every two hours. First one was 9.45, 11.45, 1.45, 2.45. And the whole time I'm kissing my dad's head saying, Dad, I love you. It's okay to let go, buddy. Dad, I love you. It's okay to let go. And he was just, I love you. I love you. It's okay to let go, buddy. I fell asleep for like 10 minutes. And he was gone. Right? Oh, man. That was, that was hard. Um... I was able to make amends to my father and be there with him. Hold his hand and kiss his forehead. Uh, What a gift. I'm drunk. None of that's happening. If I'm unconscious, asleep, probably none of that's happening. God broke me in half, awakened me, and said, you will get spiritual or you will die because you need to be there for others. I was able to hang out with my mom for a month and get through. My sponsor calls it the business of death. My dad did a great job. Old school paper and pencil, but man, he did a great job. Call this one. This is here. That's there. And I was able to do that with my mom and get through all that stuff and be a, be a son, be a brother. Uh, uh, it was amazing. One of the sweetest things. I have a great nephew and his name is Griffy. Uncle Dave! And Griffy was at the funeral. My, my, my great niece, uh, Michaela, was there. And Michaela's 10 and she's not quite sure what's going on. So they finally get the nerve to go up to the casket. And Michaela's kind of sitting there with her parents. And Griffy comes running up, jumps up on the stool and goes, Hey, Granddad, have a nice trip! <laughs> and he runs away. I was like, oh, my God, that is the most adorable thing I have ever seen. (laughs) But how perfect. Have a nice trip, man. I don't know where you're going, but you're on your way. (laughs) God, I get to witness that, right? I'm so grateful uh, to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is our obligation to study the book, to pass this stuff on, Right? That is the greatest gift. I've done a lot of Zoom work with a lot of guys in the last year right? from all over the place. Alcoholism runs rampant. If you can't find a drunk that needs help, you're not doing your job. <laughs> all right, For anybody in here that's struggling, that's depressed, or doesn't think that you know, you don't want to tell anybody how sick you really are, please. Find somebody who will understand. Tell them, I need help, is the greatest thing I've ever said in this this program. Sandy Beach, right? Sandy told a great story, and I'll finish with this. Carousels, slides. Kids, we used to have carousels, and there were slides, and you press the button. There's Uncle John with the lampshade on his head. There's Mike. He's at it again. Diane's pissed. And at the end of the slideshow, when the slides, there was no more slides, what would show on the, on the wall? Light. That's how we came into this. I came in here a beautiful baby boy and a spiritual light of God. It is our objective in Alcoholics Anonymous to clear away the wreckage so we can shine our light on a daily basis the best we can and help others. Thank you very much for my sobriety.